Now then I offer a criticism of the existing theories of interest. There are just too many of them and it would take maybe several courses to go through, but it's not worth it. <laughs> and I'm trying to uh, suggest it to you that my critique of the existing theories of interest, it's not worth studying them because they are way off the mark. They are way off. And we develop our own. And we do, what we do is we develop a theory of hoarding. The English word hoarding has a bad connotation today in uh, standard economic textbooks, uh, especially after Keynes, but also even before Keynes. Uh, I can't put all the blames on Keynes. Uh, a large part of the blame goes to him. But th this was always considered backward, uh, obsolete, when you did hoard, whatever you hoarded. You hoarded gold, hoarded silver, hoarded metals, uh, just name it, grains, uh, salt, lots and lots of things you can hoard because they can keep these commodities, keep their quality uh, well over time. They know they don't uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, they are not perishable. Okay, and that's what I'm suggesting. But uh, <clears throat> obviously there are lots of interesting questions can be asked. But though you don't find them in, in uh, textbooks because it's considered obsolete. Uh, what's the other word? Uh, atavistic. Atavistic, thank you Peter. Atavistic. <coughs> the etymology of the word atavistic suggests that it's what your ancestors did for their own reasons, but if you did do it yourself today, they are way out of uh, line because we are so much more developed scientifically and uh, culturally and te te technologically. And so, no theory of hoarding exists because it's declared atavistic. It's a waste of time. This is the official line. And what I'm suggesting is that there is absolutely every reason to develop a theory of hoarding and understand what leads human beings to cut back their own uh, consumption and build up a hoard. But there is also this hoarding, because they are not hoarding uh, things for, for its own sake. They hoard it with a purpose. And the fact is that when I use my computer and uh, type in this hoarding, the red light comes on, this wavy underlining in red, 
that there is no such word in the English language as this word. You know, they just ignore the fact that, in fact, as I explained with my producer example, the leads and legs, that's all hoarding and this hoarding, you know. And uh, uh, what I find amusing is that if you go to a bigger dictionary than what this poor computer of yours has, then you find the word, because there is such an honest-to-goodness English word <laughs> in this wording. So, on the one hand, I want to convince you that this wording is not a bad word. Uh, I'm sorry, hoarding is not a bad word as they suggest. And this hoarding is an existing, honest, to goodness, proper English word. Because hoarding and dishoarding uh, uh, follows one another. And this is all done with a purpose. And the theory of hoarding is necessary to understand what is going down and for what purpose and what changes and so on. So it's a very interesting, very fascinating chapter of economics. Now, here is the point where I I go to my arch enemy as far as economic theory is concerned, the John Maynard Keynes, and borrow a word from him, and I later will borrow more. But I could not find a better word than propensity to hoard is uh, uh, an activity which prompts you to start hoarding or hoard more than you have hoarded up to this point. And there could be many reasons for that. And uh, as I say, Keynes has used it and I needed a word and looked around and I had this choice of either creating a new word myself or you, I borrowed this uh, word which already exists too bad that I disagree with everything else what the author of that word in that combination did. And I just, I've been criticized for that. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to improve on something which is good. Because I don't think I could. And just multiplying words is not my purpose here. So uh, that is what concerns your reading assignment. I thought I'd just expand on this a little. And now we are ready to start with the proper course. And this is, as I say, book one, Credit Arising Out of Savings. And I subdivided it into two parts. Each part has six chapters. And now the first part is entitled The Nature and Sources of 
interest, or you can say rate of interest, but for sim keeping it simple, the nature and sources of interest. Because uh, we are going to have a chapter in the second course, not, not in this one, which will be called the nature and sources of discount. But here we are talking about credit arising out of savings and the first chapter of the six under that heading nature and sources of interest is the origin of interest. So during the remaining say 20 minutes I'm going to put this in perspective of the uh, origin of interest is of course one of the oldest problems of, of the human race it goes back not only to biblical times but way before and it immediately started a controversy which people couldn't sort out and they were even going to fight one another and bloody wars were fought over that uh, and then religion started and religions faded out because of the disagreement. And the problem was this borrowing and lending. So through savings and hoarding there were surpluses here which could be used through lending. There was a surplus here, there was a shortage there. These could be either neighbors or it could be different countries. And the obvious thing was that the shortages could be uh, met by uh, lending or borrowing these surpluses and then both benefits. There must be a uh, an optimal uh, way of distributing the surpluses which had no other purpose than sharing it under some basis. Now then uh, the religions came in but even before that there were government regulations because the uh, feeling of the majority was that it's, it's, it should not be allowed to have these surpluses here when there are shortages there. And the uh, extreme case is, say, the siege of a city with an enemy force surrounding the city so there is no supply getting in or going out. And under these siege conditions within, in that city 
where there can be no supplies coming in from the outside, what will uh, be the proper procedure be? Should the government take over all the surpluses and say, okay, we'll uh, subdivide this equally so everybody will? Or should there be a trade? The owners of surpluses can lend it out and then there should be a compensation for that in the form of interest, which may not be of the same, but some in some other ways, a compensation for the uh, privilege of loaning or borrowing uh, that surplus. Now, I'm not going to continue, but this is an extreme example, and I, uh, if you argue, try to argue with me, now, you see there are exceptions when uh, the government has to come in and say that's the way we are going to distribute the surpluses. I, I tell you, I have no interest in such arguments because, uh, I mean, you can go even further and say, okay, here's a boat of people who, res who were rescued after a shipwreck and there's so much food and water in that and there are five people and uh, uh, they use up their drinking water and they use up their food and then what will happen? And then you know the rest of the story, they just draw lots and okay, you are the one, we are going to eat you and so on. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in such a discussion because in every situation there will be these extremes which are first very rarely relevant and secondly there's no point in theorizing about them because whatever your theory will say I'm sure in different situations they will follow different uh, uh, procedures. So that's just uh, from my point of view uh, uh, a waste of time which I'm not interested. So uh, I'm talking about a normally working society no, ex no utter extremes. I mean some extremes we have to consider which could be periodical just like the seven uh, fat years followed by seven lean years. But uh, these extreme situations we can uh, just ignore and then you can find regularities which thinking people will all follow wherever they are, whatever continent, whatever uh, climatic uh, region they live and uh, and that's what we are interested in okay so the great discussion over the justification of interest started very very early it's uh, since time immemorial that we know that these discussions never coming to a conclusion. 
And now please pay attention, special attention to what I'm going to say now. And that's uh, in this first little introductory part to this chapter. The problem why they did not find through thousands of years a proper answer to this problem of interest, whether interest can be justified or not, is because they asked the wrong question. And the wrong question to ask is, what happens when a man with a need to borrow meets another man with money to lend? What happens? That's the question they ask. And then the philosophers and religious scholars and government lawyers put in their input and they could never agree because they created the concept of usury and they say okay below that level interest is acceptable above that is unacceptable and then if they could agree on that they started fighting but where is that level and how to find it and if you think you have found it uh, would there be uh, this uh, rule for once and all or it could vary from year to year or should the government say no this level is immutable Below that is acceptable, above that it's usury, and it should be uh, uh, made illegal and punishable by law. Both secular and canon law. Canon law is promulgated by the church, or churches as the case may be. Um, the, uh, Secular law is the uh, civil authority, civil law, and so on. Now, I'm suggesting that this is the way it has been asked when they studied interest uh, and the problems connected with it. Uh, they started by asking this question. And I'm suggesting further that this is the wrong question to ask. And let me go right away to say what the valid question is and on which we could base a theory of interest. And with all compulsory modesty, I have to say that as far as I could find out, I was the first one to reformulate this basic question of uh, which you asked in studying the origin of interest. Here's the question. What happens when a man with income to spare meets 
another man who has a surplus of income, but that's not the full question. Because the man with an income to spare is in the need of wealth. And the other man who has a need for an income has wealth to spare. So I, I repeat it in a slightly different form. There are two men, they both have two considerations. One is income and the other is wealth. Now don't think of wealth as ostentatious wealth. It's just something um, which you have more or less a hoard which you can this hoard and convert it into income. So we have these two basic concepts, wealth and income, and you can sub substitute the word wealth with hoard. All right. Now, typically, a young man will have no wealth. He starts out in life with practically nothing but the clothes he's wearing. But he's full of energy, he's young, he is ambitious, and he wants to work, and he wants to build up wealth. So by the time he gets old, he would have some wealth, which then he can use to convert it into income. So what, uh, the way I describe it is that this young man has a surplus of income because he is energetic, he is ambitious, he has ideas. And this, uh, you can describe it as mental and physical energy, this will give him uh, more income than he needs to support himself. There is a surplus of income and a deficit of wealth. Okay? He, he needs wealth because he knows that he will get old when he needs the income. So the idea is to get wealth because you want to convert it into income when you are getting old. But there are also other, and maybe many, examples because if you start a family, talking about a man uh, takes a wife and they plan to have children then uh, these children will have to be supported which is uh, need for extra income and even more so when they are at the age when they have to go to school and learn skills and this and that then their education has to be funded so in other words, this young man who has a surplus of income because he's energetic has a deficit of 
uh, wealth because this wealth is needed to support the education of the children when they reach that age. Now on the other hand you can take an old man and he, this old man was uh, he, did, he did have the foresight to uh, save to <coughs> build up wealth because he realized that he will in his old age be the opposite he will have a deficit of income and at the same time he will have a surplus of wealth but this wealth can be easily uh, or less easily but it can certainly be converted into income by selling it piecemeal so there is these are very realistic assumptions what we are making here that uh, there are two types of people this is a very broad generalization but it really fits it's a, it's a very general human problem that we are all subject to the biological force of aging and this has certain economic consequences and that's the main one that your surplus of income will turn into deficit and at the same time your deficit of wealth uh, will be uh, turned into uh, surplus and then you draw it down and we'll have uh, pleasant, more or less pleasant and uh, uh, worry-free old age. You can live out your life without being afraid that, uh, or, or don't know what you will eat tomorrow because you live hand to mouth. That's a typical problem which every human being faces in the different forms but that, that, there's no way to escape that problem. You may say oh but I have inheritance and so it's <coughs> it's every human being has to give some thought to how to handle this problem. Now what I'm suggesting what I'm suggesting, and I have only a few minutes left, that the first question about the man with who need to borrow, or the man who need who has money to lend, what happens when they meet? Well, there will be a loan or borrowing transaction and interest. You see, now we have the proof of thousands of years of study of religious thought of even military conflicts because uh, as you uh, probably know there were wars fought over that, that uh, whether interest is justified and if so how much uh, 
uh, all kinds of possible answers and the, the, the violent disagreements ending in war. And we could continue for other thousands of years and we will never get to the acceptable answer. <coughs> never. Not that way. Because we asked the wrong question. And substantially, the question what I am suggesting that the first should be replaced with is uh, basically the same question because of this biological nature. We, we are not free to choose. We are just, we were born human. So we are going, we are all going to age. We are all going to face the same problem. And if you ask the question in the second form, which I am suggesting, then the answer will come in a form which is more or less acceptable for everybody. Because it goes right to the heart of the matter. So that's my introduction. And I will continue this afternoon and derive the consequences from this. But I really would like to ask you to think about this and uh, if you have questions please write them down and there will be a chance this afternoon to ask the questions and I'll uh, do my best to answer them. But if there are some very very urgent questions there are still two minutes and before we break up for lunch and I would be happy to consider them. Any really urgent questions? Really? Uh, just a, maybe a comment. When you're talking about a, a city that's surrounded and so on, this is a closed system. And you're looking inside a closed system. There's no way to input or output. But if you're talking the whole world, it's, it's a pretty open system. So they're the two of the two Well, even world. that is not necessarily open. Uh, the, if you take the whole world, all the human beings is not necessarily open. It's uh, because because uh, I mean we there are constraints, natural resources, the state of health of the population. Uh, also, uh, there were uh, periods uh, when they expected the end of the world to happen within the next year, and I think 2011 is one of these years, because uh, probably a lot of you heard about the calendar of the... Uh, it's next year. Yeah, it's next year. The end of the calendar means they didn't bother <laughs> because there was no point in making the calendar beyond 2012 because there will be, this is the end of the world. You know, so uh, we don't have to go to these extremes. 
Any, any more questions? Okay, I think we'll adjourn there. Thanks very much.